can speak, would you make our hearts responsive to your voice as we gather together? Lord, we just thank you that uh, we get to be together in this space, in this time, and that we get to focus in on our hearts and our time. So would you bless us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, I'll say it again. It's just so good to be here. I might have shed a few tears this morning. There's this weird experience uh, for me as a, as, a, as a pastor, and that is, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I feel kind of like my family has been spread out and sectioned off, you know. And here you all together. It's so beautiful. I, uh, I mentioned uh, two Sundays ago that I was going to share over three Sundays uh, some things that have been on my heart uh, for our church, uh, specifically on my heart uh, during this time, uh, this past 18 months. So this morning is uh, the final piece I shared two weeks ago on uh, the peace of God and, and how we arrived there, how we experienced that and walked in that. Last year, or last week, our leaders, I talked about leading from weakness, leading when you feel vulnerable, when you feel like you might not be welcomed, uh, stepping out in faith, embracing that experience of weakness, knowing that it's a doorway to the experience of the power of God in your life. This morning I want to talk about all of you, but I'm going to begin with a parable. Two friends who grew up in the same town, young boys. I'm going to give them names to bring some reality to the story. Sam and Tavin. Those are pretty good names. They seem like guys that I would like. These young boys grew up together. They played sports together. They hunted and fished together. They went on adventures together. They were in the same grade, the same school. They got in trouble together. They got grounded together. They went through high school and after high school uh, decided on different directions. One went off to college and one decided to stay local. But of course they remained in contact uh, even over the miles and then when Sam would return for the holidays. They would meet up and continue their adventures. During his senior year in college, Sam met a girl, as college boys do. And after some time spent with her, began to believe that she was the one. Sam would often call his buddy and tell him about this amazing girl that he had met. You won't believe that I found the perfect one, and I want to spend the rest of my life with her. Following spring, Sam graduated from college, returned home, brought his beautiful girlfriend home with him, and finally, for the first time, introduced her to his best friend. They spent the evening together, and as she headed home, 
Kevin shared his true feelings. I don't like her. <laughs> she isn't your type. And quite honestly, I just don't feel she's good enough for you. Sam was a little surprised. He heard his friend out and he said, I'm sorry you feel that way, but she is the girl that I love and I am planning to propose to her. I am planning to marry her. <clears throat> Over the next few months, uh, Sam tried his best to make it work between two of his best friends, his guy friend from childhood and the new woman in his life. And yet through his efforts to bring the three of them together, it became increasingly awkward. And the more that Sam tried to make the friendship work, the more Tavin distanced himself from the two of them. The following year, Sam proposed. He asked his best friend to be his best man at the wedding. And in his heart, he thought maybe this invitation would begin the repair of their friendship. And on the day of the wedding, Sam's bride did not show up for the ceremony. And of course, there's whispering going on in the room. People are trying to figure out where she ended up, who she was with. Tavis approaches his friend Sam and he says, I know where she's at. Her vehicle broke down on the way to the venue. It's riding with her dad. Sam said, how do you know? She doesn't have her phone on her. And he said, I know this because I drove past her. <laughs> Standing on the side of the road. But her dad leaned over the engine compartment. Christian doctrine is that the 
Trinity has existed for all of eternity in perfect fellowship and union with each other. In fact, it is a fellowship and union that is, that is so perfect that God describes himself as being one. That's just a, a quick review of the doctrine of the Trinity. But God has something more in mind. In Colossians 1, Paul says, I'm going to reveal to you the mystery that has been hidden for generations and now has been revealed through the ministry of Jesus. This is the mystery that has been revealed. Christ in you. That is your hope. This is the mystery that Paul says, is that all the way, if you read through the Old Covenant, and even if you read through human history, we see all of these attempts uh, on, on part of, of humankind to, to make a dwelling place for the, for the presence of God to come and be there. And so we built temples across the globe over thousands of years. We built special sacred places along with special sacred ceremonies in order to invite the tangible presence of God to not only come, but to act in our favor. And Paul says, God actually had this plan all along that there would be a temple of his making. And that is you. And that he, through union with Christ, when you said, yes, by faith, I entrust myself to him, you were united with Christ. You received the gift of the righteousness of Christ, which made you, in your body, a holy of holy places. And then God deposited into your physical body his eternal spirit. You've been invited into union with Christ by his spirit in you. You've actually been invited into union with the Trinity. Seems like kind of a big deal. But how do we understand what this union looks like? How is it to be understood? Well, the first picture that God gives us of what this unity looks like is the picture of his son, God, in the flesh. God in his spirit, in bodily form, in the person of Jesus. We read not only did he take on flesh, but when he was baptized for uh, to be set aside for the purposes of his father, it says they saw the Spirit of God descend upon him like a dove. So God has given us this picture in the person of Jesus, who is has a physical body, and yet is possessed by the Spirit of God. He says, that's what the union is to look like. John 17, 22, this is Jesus praying. He says to his Father, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, just as we are one. In other words, <laughs> that 
you would be unified in the same way that the Father and Son are one. How does this happen? I, Jesus, in them, and you in me, they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you have loved me. Wow. So we collectively are the body of Christ. So Jesus is born, takes on bodily form, carries within his body the very spirit of God, and then he ascends to heaven, and he says, now you collectively are my body, my physical presence on the earth will no longer be one person, it will be all of my children unified by my spirit in them with a unity that is the same unity that I experienced with my father. Say, man, how do we understand what it means to be the physical body of God on the earth? God says, well, I've given you a picture, a very vivid picture, so that you would know what it is that I'm after. Ephesians 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish holy and blameless. And in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. God says, I've already given you a picture from the garden as to what it is that I'm after. Look at a husband who has, who has sincere, gentle, affectionate care for his wife and the recognition that that sincere, gentle care is ultimately self-serving. Because in caring for her, he cares for himself. Because she is his body. They are one. The tender, caring concern that Jesus has for his church is the same as a loving, self-sacrificing husband will have for his wife. process. We 
Here's the thing that I think that's a little abstract, not super healing, and that's okay. But it's actually no different than a child trying to understand the marriage union, right? Explain the marriage union to a child, and the child goes, oh, that's a terrible idea. Why would they want to do that? You mean I have to do that once I'm an adult? I would like to opt out at this point and never be a part of such a thing. Because in the immature mind, the immature mind cannot comprehend the goodness that God has in store. It is limited by its own immaturity. In the same way, in faith, the immature person is limited by their capacity to see the true value, the glory, the wonder of what it means when God says, the church collectively is my bride that I am cleansing and preparing for a future get-together, the wedding feast. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is, is that God took for himself an often self-loathing and insecure bride. We look around and we go, I mean, I know that you like her, but you can do better than this, surely. I know that you're in love, but can we have an honest conversation? Really, you deserve better than what you've got.
I'm going to correct something that's been said. I've heard it said at our church. So if you've said this, I'm sorry. I'm calling you out. If you were the only one on the earth, Christ would have died for you. It's actually the same as saying that if all I found left was my wife's finger, I would die for that finger. I don't mean to be unromantic, but no, I would not. Because my wife's body, her physical presence on the earth, is only understood as, an, as, as a whole. And if you try to segment it into pieces, and I know, sorry, this is getting graphic. Separated into pieces, do not all of the pieces individually cease to be that one's my wife's body? Yes? Let's say that again. <laughs> do not all the pieces, once separated, individually cease to be my wife's body? That is beyond human capacity, that is only possible 
through the infusion of my spirit into this body. And that is that not only will you come together and overlook differences, but you will, as a body, find joy in submission and generosity. And let's be honest, some of us have been burned a couple of times on those two fronts. You submitted to leadership that was abusive. You gave resources that were wasted. Guess what? Wasn't my plan. This is God's design. There is nothing that brings the condition of our heart in community to the surface faster than submit and give away your money. And no, this is not like a plug, like we need more money. <laughs> Do you understand what God is doing? He's not after this to people that can tolerate each other and get along. <clears throat> this is I'm building something that is that humans cannot create in their own power. They will require my spirit. I'm actually going to raise the stakes. I'm going to make it more difficult so that when my church, the body, says yes, the glory of that community will be my presence on the earth, my testimony. Understand that in the context of the New Testament discussion, the church universal is only mentioned a couple of times. It's almost always the church local, the church in Ephesus, to the church in Corinth, to the church in Philippi, the church is a local group of people that you already know. You've already heard about all of their dirt. And then a few of them are put in charge. Hopefully they're a little better than the rest of you. And then they're going to manage the shared resources. Acts 4, 34, 35. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. That's it right there. That's local church submitted under local authority, the people that you know, the leaders of your church community, and sharing resources. That will teach you so much about the condition of your heart and, and, and the quality of your love for the body of Christ. The pride of Christ. And there is coming a wave of people who will say, oh no, of course I love Jesus. But I'm not hanging out with his bride. Have you met her? She's a disaster. I'm actually not here this morning to suggest that you should love the church more, or that you should go tell a friend who's wandered away from the church, you should love the church more. I'm here to suggest that you love the true 
love for his church will be a natural and inevitable byproduct of that love. The problem is not that we've fallen out of love with the church. The problem is that we've fallen out of love with the true Jesus. And we've ignored large segments of his message to us in order to shape him into someone that we can tolerate with expectations that we can agree to. Love for the true Jesus will always produce love for his body, his bride, the church. Hear me on this. If you're here this morning and you say, okay, I kind of track what you're saying conceptually, but I don't feel that kind of like that draw. I get it. I understand. Go to Jesus. Go to his word. Observe him in action through the stories. Hear his heart. Go to him and say, Jesus, would you show me what really matters to you? Because I'm so confident that what really matters to you must certainly be what is best for me. that 
that leads you to arrive here on a Sunday morning. Or something new. And this is what I would like you to change if it doesn't, if, if it's not already there. I would like you to add into your routine Sunday morning, every Sunday night, or a Tuesday night, every time that you come into the fellowship of believers, the church, the, the, the community of worship, that you would stop, that you would quiet your heart, and that you would say, God, I'm fully available to whatever you have for me. I'm ready and able to serve your church, your body, and your bride. I know that you love her. Teach me to do the same. And I know for the rest of your life is a long assignment. Okay, but if you just get in the habit, it'll be fine. It'll seem normal after a little bit. But come prepared. Come with expectation. Come not just to, to receive, but come with eyes to give, to encourage, to serve. So much hopeful expectation of what God is doing here. And we're going to grow up together a little bit more. You ready for that? Yeah. And we just come before you and acknowledge again your kingdom is advancing on the earth. And there is no power of hell that can stop you, your purposes, your church. So we come before you this morning. We acknowledge yet again that you are a good God. You have been so kind to us. Your invitation is so gentle. And yet we stand before you this morning. We say again, we want to be who you've called us to be. Individually, so that we can be who you've called us to be collectively. Teach us to be your body, your body, your gentle presence on We come before you now in worship. God, would you receive our prayer?